the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC Glasgow Breakdown. Better late than never, my friends. Let's get to it, shall we? Up, you savages. This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst and writer at MixedMartialAnalyst.com, and today we are breaking down UFC Glasgow, and hopefully uh, the music you're listening to right now, the blondie, is drowning out the sirens in the background because this is Vegas, and people are probably always getting shot, especially around my neighborhood. It's like... It's like fucking the road out there, borderline. It's like post-apocalyptic Walking Dead shit sometimes, uh, depending depending on the uh, night, the holiday, how much these people have been drinking. Nonetheless, I went with the Blondie because Glasgow, back on topic, Glasgow reminds me of one of my favorite movies, Train Spotting. That's right. came out the same year as Pulp Fiction, uh, but was more the, the, the indie hit that, that stayed an indie hit, whereas you know Pulp Fiction kind of rose to prominence and paved the way for Tarantino there. Really enjoyed uh, uh, Train Spotting, a movie about a uh, heroin addiction. Had some some greats. You had Robert Carlyle in there, and uh, Ewan Bremner. Uh, oh Jesus, that fucking that fucking scene with Ewan Bremner and then the date and the uh, top top five shit scenes. Dan, what do we have to talk about? Shit on the Protecting Neck Pocket. Okay, we're not going there. But there's some great scenes in Train Spotting. Um, was just <laughs> was just revisiting. Had the opening scene playing in the background where. Uh, you know, Ewan McGregor, young Ewan McGregor, uh, you know, pre, pre-Obi-Wan apprentice there. Um, he's uh, he's doing the old sick boy method, a little bit locking in the moodle fiber, but it's shite. Um, it's great. Oh, I love that fucking movie. God damn. Sorry, I'm, I'm going to not going to, I promise I won't talk about train spotting the whole time, but I'll probably end up segueing it back somewhere later. Y'all know. Love me some Scotland. Uh, been there, one of the most friendliest, like, good vibe places. Like, been to a lot of different countries. And not all countries have, like, the greatest vibes, you know? Like, um, uh, what is, uh, was it? Amsterdam, for example, had a real sketchy vibe. Amsterdam felt like the Vegas of Europe. And talking to some Europeans, it's kind of how it was treated, especially then when the regulations were a bit lighter in 2009. Then apparently they're more... Um, conservative now anyways neither here nor there it felt sketchy as shit but scotland felt great unfortunately i wasn't able to go to glasgow um and i'm I'm sorry if i'm not pronouncing these right i can imitate and slaughter your accent for days but i I, god forbid i can say the city's right because uh most of the time i spent was in uh edinburgh and uh, it was great because the castle um of edinburgh and I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, so I'm sorry. It's great because everything's kind of lit in this very, like, uh, you know, almost like gothic, castle like, village-like, right? And, you know, it was a cobble, you know, maybe not cobblestone, but stone stone roads. And it was really cool. Uh, stayed in a really, like, wicked, wicked hostel where it was, like, a bunch of, like, punk rock uh, banners and stuff. And, and old punk rock posters and some Australians ran it. And each... Um, each hostel room was named after like a different like comic book city. Like I stayed in Gotham. I got the bed that said Catwoman, which sucked. And 
there were some really creepy people that stayed in that room. Anyways, neither here nor there was a fucking cool city in the castle. It's like everywhere's lit but the castle, so you have this shadow of the castle that kind of looms over the city. It looks haunted. There's a bunch of badass scenes. Like there's this underground club I went to where it's like these underground like cylinder, almost like like subway stations, but much much smaller to scale, but just kind of almost cylinder like. And you're you know again the stone that kind of made the street is carries through when you go underground here into these kind of cylinder like tunnel like uh, places. And it's like segmented off. You had like one like kind of like indie pop. And you have a, a you know house. You have another with like more um, like gothic, like uh, industrial, dark, like heavier stuff. And like each place had its own bar. I don't know. Just I could rave on about Scotland for days. I'm probably going on to again. Get to the fucking breakdown. It's four minutes thirty seconds. All right, I'm gonna get there. We're gonna get another breakdown. But first, just a few formalities off the top. Um, Want to apologize? I know I apologize too much on this goddamn podcast, but. Uh, tough. This one's deserved because, man, ugh, I didn't get any complaints on it, but my goodness, did I fucking cringe listening back when editing um, <laughs> the After Party Edition. I know y'all know that I'm crazy by now. Y'all know that me, especially when, you know, hanging out with my good old buddy B-Rat, we have a little bit too much to drink, get a little emotional there. I'm sure none of that comes to a surprise, and again, nobody complained, so maybe I am a, a dumbass for once again apologizing here, but I feel this one's deserved. I'm going to stand by this apology, and I'll make it quick, short, brief, but goddamn, I apologize for that shit. Um, you, you know, we started off positive, when we finished it positive, it was only like a 15 to 20 minute stretch where me and Brian there were kind of just ranting on our feelings of Amanda Nunes and John Jones and how it correlated with two international fight weeks back-to-back summer events and this and that, and though... I will say, um, again, I'm not making excuses and trying to, you know, do revisionist history. I stand by everything I say, uh, you know, and, and again, even though I was kind of passionate about that narrative, we saw uh, it wasn't kind of, rep- you know, it wasn't kind of representative. We, we saw a lot of people jumping on, and again, I don't want to rehash it or get go there. Again, I don't think Dana White was, was, I don't think Dana White was right. I think he was wrong, as a matter of fact, but it was more like people were using the Shevchenko Nunez story to kind of further the, hey, look how Dana White mishandles things, which I agree with, but... Again, the point there was I, I still, even after all that, didn't hear much uh, sympathy for the person who I felt, and I'm not alone here. Many others felt kind of deserved it. Um, and anyways, neither here nor there. I'm, 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 uh, I don't want to rehash that, um, but I do want to apologize for how crazy and passionate it was getting and, and, and putting you guys through that. Uh, if you're still with me, you're still listening, thank you. You're still a fan. You didn't hit the unfollow. Thank you. You enjoyed. You see the comedy in my craziness. Cool. But I can't make excuses for that one. It was fucking cringeworthy to me. So even though I didn't get any complaints, if it's cringeworthy to me, I consider it cringeworthy to you. And that's no bueno. Even though, um, again, standing by my takes and and, and stuff and and, and whatnot, which I'll, I'll, you know, obviously I'm very honest with here and want to continue to be honest. That being said, you know, I want to continue to try to be entertaining where I can and, not worry about, you know, not trying to be, you know, fake and political, and that's not my game and this and that. Don't don't worry. that That's all the same, but at the same time, I do consider this, even though it's a free, and I do, this will be staying free, I do consider this show a bit of a service, and that's not really a service, having to hear some, you know, fucking drunk idiot uh, rant with his buddy uh, overly too much, you know. Uh, you can get away with it a bit on the Rogan Fight Companion because they're, you know, established personalities, whether you like Bravo, Rogan, or any of those dudes. Uh, you don't, and again, that's not what we're trying to go for there with the, with the after party edition, but again, kind of 
don't want to put you through our our drunken nonsense because even the most popular podcast, I don't like listening to that. So I don't want to put you through that. Anyways, felt it was apo- uh, the apology was justified. And again, just one more finishing note on that. And positive, kind of parlaying into the positive as far as uh, uh, finishing up the formalities and current events, what's going on with Dan. It has been a crazy week. I know I've been speaking in code. I haven't been able to tell you about this roller coaster of emotions that is <laughs> working or trying to work in the MMA media space. Um, but yeah, I'm still, still freelance and, and still working on some things behind the scenes to hopefully uh, have a future have a future here. But it's, it's been a rough one. And um you know, working too hard and dealing with these things, not working out, which was a big key. You know, even though I stand by my my opinions, I'm listening back and I'm like, oh Jesus, you know, you project a lot and whatnot. Um, you know, especially if you've been you've, you've been you've been drinking, having a good time, and and I just like you know, I don't want to say it's not who I am because I think that's bullshit. I'm, like, I'm drunk, it's not who I am. Like, hey, hey, it's all versions of us, right? Like, I'm not not trying to dodge accountability here, but you know thinking things pragmatically as I often do. It's like, man, Dan Tom really needs to fucking get his passion out there and exercise because yes, that's the whole reason why Dan Tom's a bit passionate, aside from my health hinging on the sport, dedicating, you know, my life at least as of right now, because most of my life experiences have been involved in martial arts. Yeah, I'm a little more involved and have a little more history and have sacrificed a little more physically, mentally, monetarily, uh, than most people and not just in the world, but most people even you know, that, 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 um, consider themselves fans of the sport and whatnot. I, I, uh, so if I do get a little passionate, justify, but don't worry, uh, the rants end now, but then you're ranting now. Okay. It's ending now. Anyways, the point is, yeah, uh, moving forward and on a positive note, like I said, I've been hitting the gym more, uh, to, to, to quell these things, to fix these things. And that's why I wasn't even sure if I was going to do a breakdown this week. I was like, I'm not sure. That's why if you follow me on Twitter, I've been kind of, Try to do my best to at least update people on there, trying to get better with the Facebook page, yada, yada. But I said, you know, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'm just getting my head back in the game because there is a lot of big decisions that unfortunately I can't tell you. But first things first, Dan Tom's got to look for his health. I got to get back to, to, to what makes me me and what makes me sane because, you know, whether it's ranting on a podcast like I was just talking about or just driving, you know, road rage or just talking to people in public, like, you know, realizing like, oh my God, you are not, you know, you're not behind a computer. Like I want to, you know, ah, uh, that's not the t- that's the t- type of thoughts and anger and, and acting on anger and emotions. That's not that someone who's done martial arts all their life is, is proud of to admit, but I'm being honest. Yeah. You know, so you realize I'm like, wow, you know, what? got to, got to get away from the computer back in the gym. And my God, has it felt great. Um, shout out to everybody at extreme couture, uh, all friends and training partners kind of, Seeing you guys again and, and just welcoming me back with opening arms and being understanding of my medical condition with that that's been keeping me out and uh, and helping me get back in. In fact, not only got back in grappling these last couple of weeks, but uh, the other night I got I did my first kickboxing class. In fact, first kickboxing practice. Um, and you know it was just drilling. I didn't do any any any. any, any there, there's no heavy sparring in that class, nor did I do sparring, but just heavy heavy drilling and. Um, it was just so fun to move around. I got blood blister in my toe because it's been literally been two years since my concussion. Two years since even just moving around, working mitts, uh, drilling, doing shifting combination, any of that. And I did all that in the class, which, by the way, it was like a real heavy technique class run by Coach uh, Davis. It's a real, like, it was not, 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 like, not no cardio kickboxing bullshit, believe me. Like, it was a really good technique class. And 
boy, did it feel good to be brought back to life. And Dan, it's 11 minutes and 30 seconds. Why are you still ranting and not breaking down the cards? Sorry, just wanted to catch you all up. Um, uh, consider that the price of admission for today's breakdown, which is starting now. We're going to go from the bottom to the top here for UFC Glasgow. Um, pulling it up right now. Pulling it up right now. Hey, look, the odds are still up. I didn't rant that long. Uh, my odds didn't log out on me. All right, uh, first fight is Leslie Smith versus Irene Aldana. We got Leslie Smith coming in. By the way, I'm like recording like uh, roughly 31 hours out from the fight, so that's where the odds are at. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, Leslie Smith's been kind of moderate favorite, uh, 180 to minus 200 range, depending on what house you're looking at. Uh, Amanda Lemos coming back plus 170. Uh, I got Smith here, but uh, this one is this one's on the avoid. Um, not just because it's like, you know, oh, it's a female fight. Dan's going to put it on his avoid list. You know, here's what we talked about. Not enough sample size. Not a, yeah, and I'll try to spare you all that. But essentially, uh, as much as I love Smith, and though she's the justified favorite here, uh, Lemos has some potential. You know, 5'4", she's going to be a little shorter, but she's very athletic, has a lot of pop, uh, southpaw. Really good body kicks, which may serve her well against Smith, who, as shown, can take a shot. Even when like her ear's falling off, she still wants to fight. Um, even when Cyborg's bashing on her, she still wants to fight. So those liver shots from the southpaw side could be something worth watching for from Lemos here. And she often counterbalances her you know, liver kick with a nice check right hook. Uh, upstairs, which is really nice, um, has a nice like War of the Alvas like guillotine because she's such a pressure striker. You see girls on the regional scenes often trying to pressure her to the fence, trying to neutralize her, oftentimes wearing themselves down in the process. Um, but it's hard to tell, you know, especially these girls, the Brazilian girls that come from the jungle fight organizations. Like, it's not as bad as some girls. Like, um, I don't want to say maybe is it Larissa Pacheco I'm thinking of, but. You, Anyways, a lot of the times you look at girls when you're researching their fights from the jungle fights, it's like, where did they find these? Is this even a fighter they're fighting? But even though the records were like 2-0, and 0-0, you know, 2-1 and kind of records, um, Lemos was fighting, the girls actually look surprisingly athletic and competent. Uh, I mean, nothing to write home about in particular, but for what that's worth. So it makes my avoid list where, you know, Leslie Smith is one of those uh, girls... Uh, even with her flaws, she's consistent for what that's worth. So you kind of know what you're getting. So possibly would be a girl that I, uh, in that sense, a girl that I would play, but not not here. So it makes the avoid list. Next one though, not on the avoid list, is on um, you know pieces for my parlay, which I'm kind of uh, in the process of updating. I'm just gonna. <clears throat> well, I'll list this parlay when I get to it. Actually, um, when I, when I complete it, this is kind of the first leg of. First leg of it, but uh, yeah, I'm kind of revamping on adding straight plays and stuff to the betting sections. You'll see this time around, but uh, yeah, first piece for the parlay, Pantoja. You guys know I'm pretty big on him, was, was, even though it was a, a close fight projected um, against Eric Shelton. Um, I did pick Pantoja there. I was, I'm pretty high on his skills um, from watching him from the regionals, you know, RFA to uh, LFA uh, fights there, and um yeah, man, I, I like him here. Morales is live, and, and I think Mor I, I don't even think Morales should have had a draw against um, Perez, Alejandro Perez. Um, I actually scored that for him, then he gets boosted right into that crazy co-main event where he almost looks like he's fighting worse but uh, against uh, you know um, Thomas Almeida, but I mean, 
This is crazy, man. Alba Morales has only been like a pro since 2013. I mean, natural fighter is an understatement. This kid's a natural fighter. So people that you know that are playing him, he's live in the spot. You know, um, the odds are off. Like I can't blame any of these angles. Um, that kind of were my flags initially. You know, just being healthy skepticism going in the, going into this, but. But man, uh, just kind of watching it, I'm, I'm not only my high on Brett Johns. We're talking about consistency and how I'm a big person on consistency, and I, obviously that should be a big thing if you're kind of looking to to put any money on somebody. And when you look back at Brett Johns' fights and process, he's just that. He's consistent, and he has that attitude intangible that Albert Morales had. Except, you know, Morales has got to the point where he's going to be consistent yet. Like, he look, he comes out and looks surprisingly good in his debut against a guy who's surprisingly kind of tough against Alejandro Perez. But his technique almost looks worse when he's fighting um, co-main event slot against, uh, oh my gosh, why am I forgetting his name now? Tomas Almeida. And, uh, again, that could be, you know, Brazil, co-main event slot. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to hold that too much against him. Albert Morales would then bounce back against an underrated uh, Andre you know, Sukumta, who is, you know, again, underrated guy who, you know, stacked up wins on the regional scene, but, again, not, like, against Cannes. Against Cannes actually fought, like, decent competition in decent organizations and, um, you know, gives Albert Morales a good fight. And Albert Morales, you know, comes through even though he kind of s- slowing down. Uh, you know, by the end there, which is part of the reason why I wasn't sure about, you know, picking him here because, you know, slowing down at the end and again, defensive wrestling, I'm not sure about, but it's so hard because not only is Morales not at the point where he's consistent, he's also at the point where he's going to be showing fight to fight improvements and he's working, you know, speaking of wrestling, he's working bolt wrestling with Kenny Johnson, who's a guy, you you guys know I'm big on, he works a lot with the Black House guys, Uh, worked with BJ Penn back in the day during BJ Penn's prime run, uh, Kenny Johnson's no joke, you know, he's a, he's a world-class competitor himself, even with, you know, uh, winning, like, IBGGF, you know, gi, gi with worlds and no gi, not just a wrestler. Um, so he's getting good training there, uh, Albert Morales is. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does, but against the guys with the process of Brett Johns, who, you know, against Quan Ho Kwok, even though, you know, which to keep in mind... Debutants don't have the best debut, so I'm sure we weren't seeing the best Johns last time out. But I don't think we were seeing the best Quack either, even though Quack would come out and act, you know lose uh, and get, uh, lose in his next fight. Uh, regardless, here um, Quack's a super athletic guy. You know, you want to talk about natural fighters. Quack is a natural fighter, natural counter wrestler, natural athlete. More importantly, you know, pops back to his feet. You see uh, from his regional scenes to even his even in uh, his UFC fights and. It might not have been pretty, but when you consider that and you, you, you see Quan Ho Kwok's ability, what Brent Johns was able to do to him against the cage consistently was impressive. And then just kind of keeping his composure, beating him to the punch. Nothing too fancy as far as slipping one, two, threes, uh, but you see him jump jump for a flying knee out of nowhere when it's appropriate and have that explosive speed and kind of IQ of when to do it and then immediately follow with a level change and, and go low. So, I mean... A lot to like from Brett Johns, and although I don't expect Albert Morales to do stuff early in his career when he would go to his back as far as, you know, reach, grab guard, settle. A bad thing to do against a guy like Brett Johns, especially with his, you know, judoka base there. And and Johns also really smart, you know, he puts his hands on the inside of the biceps, hands to the chest, fight, fights very smart inside guards. I, I don't think Albert Morales, you know, I want to think he's going to be urgent here to get back to his feet, you know, where he has his best chances of winning, landing one of his home run shots, but 
just defensively on the ground and the wrestling transitions and still yet remain to be seen in the striking, even though his offense looks more polished than others in some fights. Defensively, there's still a lot of room to grow. Um, I think Johns was justified here. He's up to 365. I played him uh, lower, minus toward 330 earlier in the week with uh, two other people, one out of reach, one not, which is coming up later. Uh, next fight, I believe, should be on the avoid list, though, which is Danny Henry, a Scottish guy, uh, versus uh, Daniel Timor, David Timor's brother. And, boy, they're like, I don't know if they're twin brothers, but they, they, they certainly act like it because, um, you know, Daniel Timor, like David, who, if you guys are having trouble with David Timor, uh, he's the recent guy who upset uh, Lando Venata. Um. And uh, his brother Daniel has kind of that, that, that very agitated, hyperactive kind of uh, motion to him when he's striking. And um, but, 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 but man, you know, r- real talented. Looks like he should be fighting at 145, though I believe this battle is going to be at 155. You know, has a little bit of extra weight on him. You, you look earlier in his career, looked a little more cut up, but he's also fighting at catch weights. And again, lighter guys, he should be at a lighter weight himself. Don't think it's going to affect him here, though. I see him eating up the leg of uh, Danny Henry. Danny Henry, though, I mean, uh, kind of bread and butter striking game, but but looks like he could be developing, you know, uh, very comfortable on the feet, you know, although nothing too fancy. Uh, steadily, you know, f- from, from the limited sample size, steadily, uh, steady growth there. But also kind of hard to measure. I mean, I believe, you know, what? Oh, sorry. I want to say, is he fight a lot of EFC South Africa? Where the records don't seem to be too. Yep, I mean, the records don't seem to be too bad of records, but the South Africa scene, not to pick on them, but you want to talk about one of the more weaker scenes if we're going to just play stereotypes. You know, um, it's within that range there. And he looks real confident. Like, he looks like on, on the ground, but I, I don't think he has a rest, you know, the wrestling to, to really connect his game together yet. He's a young kid himself, but. He does look like Danny Henry. He could, you know, create trouble opportunistically on the ground. Uh, real competent, crafty from his guard, can take a back. Knows his way about a scramble, in other words. But as far as creating, corralling, having the wrestling to make those scrambles, I don't know. And especially when you consider Daniel Timor, like his brother David, underrated wrestling and counter grappling. You know, we're seeing more, more Muay Thai, not just more Muay Thai, more competent Muay Thai strikers enter MMA with a more reasonable sense of mind and. These Muay Thai bases, especially more traditional Muay Thai bases, they often lend themselves naturally to counter grappling uh, from the clinch wrestling and stuff you do. Anybody who's, you know, spend some time doing some Muay Thai or at least real Muay Thai classes at the very least, you're, you're bound to do some clinch wrestling and you're going to have a sore neck and you're going to understand the importance of pummeling and core and balance and all these things that you're constantly using. Um... And, it, and a lot of times it translates well, and uh, I think it does as well for the Timor brothers. And again, I, I just see him eating up the lead leg here. But, the, the, you know, the Scott is durable, and, and Timor appears to be very game himself. The uh, So I played the the over, even though it's on the fight, fight to avoid. I don't know if it's going to be officially listed on my thing, because it's on a fight to avoid. But I, I'll admit, I did, I did sprinkle a little bit on the over, because it's only lined at like 1.5, minus 145. That's just, that's within range for my straight-up plays, so... It's not much to bet on this card, as you will soon see. Um, not much tempting, whether it's chalky or doggy. So this is this is something that I did play. I will admit. Um, all right, 
Next fight also on the avoid. Charlie Ward versus Bofondo. Galore. Bofondo galore. Galore Bofondo. Right out of the Congo. This guy. Um, oh, my God. I think he's got like he's competed in like karate and kickboxing. Looks like to have a karate base, but it looks like he has a taekwondo base from my um, eye for what it's worth. As somebody who's kind of come from both, so I guess neither would surprise me, neither would be wrong. But he's just, he has so much leg dexterity; it's hard to not imagine he comes from taekwondo, Bufando, the from the Congo. He he almost uses his left leg like a jab. Um, he's good. He's powerful from it. Like he can he uses it from his southpaw stance and orthodox or orthodox stance, which he switches between both. Or even in his 360 spinning assault, he can punctuate very well with that left. Or he can just prod with it again from either stance, spinning attack, whatever. And even though his, his hands are a bit low, which, again, Charlie Ward a bit, a little bit robotic. You know what you're getting, but he's powerful nonetheless. You have to respect his power. But Fondo's low hands can be a little bit worrisome. Maybe that, the unproven nature, his wildness is the reason why he's not a bigger favorite despite only being a debutante. But, uh... But yeah, and again, in a welterweight fight, that feels like a heavyweight fight there. Um, the intangibles are kind of everywhere, so I guess you can't really be too confident. But but what I was getting to about uh, Bufondo's low hands is he, he actually looks like he's got a good punching rhythm. I like the way he punches. He's got a good natural mechanics and hip motion. It like, tells me he understands, slips his head a bit with it, even though it's risky play with the way he you know plays in general on the feet. Um, I like him here. Um, I might put like a, you know... Round one is the only thing you're really getting at plus odds because everything is sealed up from inside the distance or TKL. But I might put something round one to put, to keep it interesting or just you know inside even at chalk just to kind of keep it interesting. But it's not really any attractive lines either way. Overs, unders. Uh, Ward's not big enough of a dog. Just a big pass there. All right. Next fight on the prelims. Pantoja versus Siri. I love me some Neil Siri. Y'all know I love me some Neil Siri. He cashed for me against uh, Delos Reyes. Cashed for me against Chris Beal. But I see this being like that Luis Smoka fight, which I might have even picked against Hawaii and went with Siri there and just lost on that fight, obviously, because he lost the fight. But that was a fight where you just kind of saw his scrambles kind of pay. And even though he's you know underrated everywhere, including his sub-defense, we could see him fighting off back takes in the superior scrambler that is Pantoja, who has hips from hell. The way he just kind of pops up off the ground, pops, elevates it up for his guard attacks. Uh, you know, his core strength and the way he snaps around and turns corners from hip to hip to get to the back mount. When he's, and then once he's in the back mount, you know, whether he's bellying down or just on a top mount, just his hips, you could tell. Certain guys have just the natural spring, the natural magnet in their hips, and Pantoja has that. Uh, again, was 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 talking earlier. Was really high on him. Feels like did I talk about this fight earlier? It feels like I was talking about this fight earlier. Anyways, uh, picked him before, um, and uh, again against Shelton, which again was was going to be a close fight there. But Pantoja is the second piece for the parlay. Um, let's see what he's coming in at right now. Bada boosh, bada boosh, bada boosh. Three eighty. Wow, he really rocketed up there. I, I want to say I got Pantoja around the minus three hundred toward uh, toward the opener. I only played one parlay. This is the only play I played early in the week, and I'm not listing it because it's not fair. Both lines, especially the one I'll be getting to later, inflated like crazy. But it was because I made that play. I felt guilty, and I'm like, you know what? I better do a breakdown this week. That and 
you know, especially, you know, Scottish, Irish, English uh, audiences to my content. Thank you very much. We're asking about the Glasgow, so I couldn't let you all down. So I decided the 11th hour, which is why this is late. Um, not apologizing for that because I did stay at the early of the week. This was again supposed to be a week off, but god damn it, I could not let y'all let y'all down and let y'all hang. And again, almost to my two year mark without missing, so I gotta gotta keep the streak rolling. But yeah, I played Pantoja here. I think he's just gonna be faster. He's, he's a bit hittable, which would be worrisome. But series speed and reactions have been going, and Pantoja just shows a crazy chin. Even when he does get stumbled, he recovers like instantly, and um. Just always creates a scramble, gets after it, re got really far without even addressing wrestling. Now recently doing wrestling with Henry Cejudo and going up to the States more. Um, I only expect him to grow again despite fighting for 10 years. He's 27, so lots to like about this kid. Really like Siri. Hard to go against him here, but I, I have to as, as Pantoja is, is one of the more um, one of the more confident, one of the more confident picks there. Yeah, alright, and we're going to go to the last fight on the prelims before we go to our break, which is Danny Roberts versus Bobby Nash. Man, I, I like Danny Roberts, but this is a fight, you know, maybe because it felt like the, the, the bottom was, was uh, about to drop out on Roberts for a minute. It's, you know, with the chin getting rocked in, in his recent fights and then having that devastating knockout and having trouble recovering from it, right? Good to see him back, good to see him take the time off, nevertheless didn't this one was seeming like an avoid even if I did side with Roberts as I was initially leaning toward Nash, but looking for every reason to play the dog Nash here, could not find it, could not find it. Um, you know, the best I could see is, you know, kind of a wrestling performance making it an ugly fight like Dominic Steele, but Nash would do that more in his early on in his career. And um, we saw him move away from that as he developed his striking, which is good. You wanted to, you know, progress as a fighter, but... I, I, he does, he, in his, you know, last, last couple of fights, the, the grappling, there's, there's been to be desired, and, and, I, and I think it would, it wouldn't hurt him if he dusted off here, but Roberts is an underrated grappler, I mean, even before he made it to the UFC, when you look at his, his regional scene stuff, I mean, he, he, he's very good in the scramble, really crafty guard game, and then when he went to the States and linked up with, of course, you know, my former coach there, Neil Melanson, uh, who was in his corner when he scored that, uh, uh, triangle choke against Nathan Coy, a fight that, you know, this could, I could see replicating here. Um, he's actually really good in the scramble. I mean, I even saw some recent footage where he's working with Gilbert Durino, world champion there, jiu-jitsu granted, but they're doing some wall wrestling and he just hits this insane scramble where he just uses the wall to make a flip. And obviously it wasn't too realistic, but it just kind of just shows you his awareness and his scrambling ability, his athleticism, taking the time off, looking in great shape, focused. And on the feet, I, you know, we know Danny Roberts has that inside angle counter left hand that will probably serve him well here, but he also has a check right hook that I see being money. I mean, again, coming in favoring Bobby Nash and looking at Bobby Nash's left hook, which is his money punch that often comes off of his right hand, but it's only there off of, you know, it's usually that kind of right hand and delayed left hook shot, and to hit one of those delayed left hook shots, you have to have a guy who's uh, engaging you, recklessly engaging you, maybe even consistently recklessly engaging you, which is not Danny Roberts. Um, Danny Roberts is more of an in and out, like a cobra, gonna gonna pick his shots kind of a guy. Um, so I don't see him being there for the left hook. And in fact, you know, Nash's l low lead hand has gotten him hit by right hands throughout his career. 
uh, multiple times counter right. So against the southpaw, crafty pinpoint southpaw like Danny Roberts, I see the check right hook being there, money for him. And then you have, you know, Roberts' active knees and kicks, which could play in a factor because, again, you go to the last guy um, to, to beat Nash before his UFC, you know, lost to Li, Li Jiang. It was actually the guy with probably the worst record of all the guys he fought was probably like 12 and 11 or something at the time and was a guy of similar build, a striker, similar build to Danny Roberts, who I believe was orthodox of that, a southpaw. Um, nevertheless, was able to hurt Nash and kind of throw him off his game, who was mainly, again, as I, I aforementioned, Nash was mainly a grappler more earlier on in his career. Um, wasn't striking as much, but he changed levels into a kick, which turned into a knee. Uh, off of the left side, the same side Roberts throws his best shots off of and uh, almost put, maybe arguably put him out for a second. Nash was able to recover, but that was also a weird fight too because it was a, a three-round title fight and it didn't look like the commentators nor even maybe Nash himself was especially clear. Nevertheless, I see history repeating itself from both the fighters' timelines, although obviously MMA math doesn't work, nor should you count on it. Um, this fight... Didn't make my avoid list surprisingly, but also didn't make a parlay list. Didn't even make the straight play list. Because, um, not even like, you know, I don't even know what prop to play this to make it interesting. Way the way the overs and unders are set. You know, you could see this being an ugly affair. Both guys fighting safe. Nash needs a win. Slash, it's going to be a hard fight for both guys stylistically. And or even if Roberts is, you know, the puzzle pieces are fitting as well as I'm presenting to you now. I could see, you know, with Roberts needing a win, with him maybe being shaken and rattled with the damage that he took, all of the above. Even if he's doing really well, I could still see him maybe cruising. We see that happen, right, because of the aforementioned things. Like, oh, let me play it safe here, get the win. So, again, there's a lot of weird things going into that, which keeps me away from playing it. But as far as a pick, I, I surprisingly feel a lot better about Roberts than I initially did going into it, as he is the pick. And on that beat, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to break down the rest of the main card for UFC Glasgow right here on the Protect Your Neck Podcast. here on the Protect Your Neck podcast for the main card of UFC Glasgow. And we had sirens to start the first part. If you're hearing correctly, there's a drag race of a motorcycle. One sound like it might have crashed. Vegas, baby. Vegas. They should do the they should redo that swingers, that classic swingers thing that like every like uh Douchebag dude, nah, but it's probably some cool people I know that have it too. Like that, 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 that Vince Vaughn, that classic Vince Vaughn, uh, and what's his name, the writer, John Farvel, or whatever. And like Vegas, baby, Vegas, driving through old school Vegas, just doing with like the real Vegas and just a total fucking shit show, like it really is. Anyways, neither here nor there. Dan, stop ranting about Vegas. We have a shit show that kicks off the main card that is James Mulhern versus uh, Cormier's evil twin who gained a bunch of weight and got taller. <laughs> is, uh, oh my goodness. Justin Willis. Willis! What you talking about, Willis? Yeah, he uh, was supposed to fight uh, Tabora at, at 208, that Brooklyn card. And, you know, that, that card probably, you know... Uh, 
was already kind of cursed from the start, right? But um, yeah, health issues apparently. All things good heading into this camp should make weight. Hopefully, knock on wood, wins should be shortly. Hopefully, uh, they should be happening by the time this is out. If it gets edited and uploaded in time, knocking on wood there. Anyways, this is the final fight on the avoid list because this is just shit show city. Um, Mohorn's <laughs> he looks like a a belly boy himself, <laughs> self to put nicely. You know, he he's heroes are listed as Mark Hunt and Fedor, and uh, apparently he models his game and diet <laughs> and physique off of those guys too. But but he's deceptively athletic though. He's a deceptive mover. Like he has some decision wins where he's actually like, keeping a good pace, boxing, head movement, throwing check jabs out of uh, exchanges. Like he fights how if you're gonna be you know an overweight kind of dude, you know five eleven, barely six foot, fighting a heavyweight. Um, yeah, you better you better be imitating, trying to imitate some Tyson, getting in and out, being light on your feet, um, floating from top position, ground and pound. Uh, kind of style fighter, and that's what he is, but also Willis looks the same too, except a little more athletic. I thought Willis had a wrestling background. Willis actually has a football background, which explains the athleticism um, you know, and the explosion. He, he gets on his doubles against the cage for takedowns. I see him doing that here, making this fight ugly, but again, this, this could be like either guy could finish each other kind of a fight, or it could just go long. And just get real, real sludgy and real ugly. So this is like just a huge avoid. Let's see what these guys got. Maybe you put something on a round one for either guy. Um, I, I just, I honestly would stay away from the sailing shit show. Overs, unders. Yeah, I'd stay away. Uh, another one that almost made the avoid list um, but didn't. It's not officially on there, but I'll be honest with you. It's, it's on the avoid list. You're listening here. Congratulations, but I guess. But, uh. Khalil Roundtree versus Paul Crick. First of all, I fucking love both these guys. Khalil, as you all know, knowing when he was like a 300-pound dude, didn't do martial arts in his life. We are just at hardcore shows down at the old rock in Java. People hardcore dancing. He'd be just chilling on the side of, chilling on the, side of the pit. Not even like one of the aggressive dudes uh, doing the hardcore smash dancing or anything like that. Just sweetheart of a dude. And if you know anybody that knows him, we'll say the same thing. Um... So I always kind of root for that guy, showing improvements now, really improving his diet, discipline, um, and just, you know, his camp overall, just bringing in guys, and, they, and we're seeing that camp improve over there, Syndicate MMA, you know, Las Vegas, our, our neighbors there, not too far from Extreme Couture, and I uh, got to give credit where credit's due, they're, they're doing good things over there, and, you know, he's teaming up with guys who we fought before, like Stansberry or Andrew Sanchez, which kind of make those weird sample sizes because when you get guys you're fighting in the house you're not going to get your normal performances you're fighting your ufc debuts you're not going to get your normal performances when you're fighting your friends or guys you have history with you're not going to get normal performances and roundtree had that don't get me wrong clearly needed to shore up his wrestling clearly that's where his shortcomings were but when you consider that when you factor those in it kind of skews the sample size a bit you know and, and there are silver linings to it too you know you didn't get subbed by you know Andrew Sanchez. People forget very you know IBJJF uh, accoladed grappler, not just collegiate wrestler. But then again, it's a two-way street where you know you're fighting friends. Was he that messing with Sanchez again? Skewed sample size. What we do know is Roundtree is showing improvements. Um, even in the fight that he lost against Tyson Pedro, um, 
we're seeing Tyson Pedro's no joke, and that what Tyson Pedro did is kind of what he does to everybody, kind of his specialty. And Roundtree was a shot away from you know uh, winning that fight. He he dropped him, almost finished him with one punch, you know, from from his from his southpaw stance there. And um, it's hard not to see him landing that shot against Craig, who I also like. You know, uh, got to meet Craig, do interviews with him and Godbeer last time he fought there in town here for two hundred nine Woodley versus Thompson. Um, and you got to interview those guys, and um, my God, just salt of the earth. Again, you know me. I love me, love me the Scottish people. They're just most endearing. Love the accent. They're just endearing people. And Craig was the same way, you know. Uh, I believe it was Jim was interviewing God Beer, and uh, I was just hanging out with Paul Craig. He was on the bike, and you know, I'm, I'm not really trying to be bothersome of these guys, even if it's my job to talk to them as media, or you know, just from the years of being in the gym, extreme contouring, seeing and or working with, you know. Um, Notable names, I guess you could say, or whatever you want to call. It. I just it's, it's like whatever. It's like the, I just bother these people as little, little as possible. I'm, you know, that's I've never been that celebrity guy, anyways. Not that these guys are celebrities, they're fighters, they're people, they're real people. At the end of the day, but you know what I mean. It's just, it hasn't been a thing for me. Uh, it's kind of not how I'm wired. Um, so so, uh, and I try to bother these guys, but but Craig was just actually like really forthcoming in conversation just like a real funny guy like we were just kind of bullshitting at the end of the day talking about random shit that wasn't even fighting and just 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 a funny fucking dude and i uh, really have a lot of respect for that guy you'll, you'll probably see me posting my willie memes like i normally do when he fights because he just reminds me of fucking uh willie from the simpsons yeah grease me up woman nothing can out the grease goodsman but uh, he reminds me of willie bonjour you bastards uh, sorry, I'm gonna start going. I knew it's on. Sorry, I'm, I'll try not to use the shinin. All right, stop, Dan. Stop, stop. All right, sorry. Control. Simpson, Scottish accent. Dan just went on an overload. He had to stop himself. I love Paul Craig. Would not be mad if he beats my boy here, but he is the underdog for a reason. Defense is not Craig's thing, and wrestling does not seem to be his thing either. Um, you know, he's great in the scramble, competent on the ground. His jiu-jitsu skills, he knows how to use his frames. One of those guys that he's always going to be dangerous on the ground from a white belt to however long he advances his skills to he gets to a black belt level. But you have to, again, wrestling and scrambling, there's certain, clinch fighting, there's certain phases of the game you need to facilitate that submission game and I don't quite see him doing that here especially if we really are getting an improved round tree in our hands so the pick is round tree I just like both guys so much I'm just I'm not playing either of them and I really don't see any tempting lines honestly either uh, nor should you be confident on this. This should be on your avoid list, even though it's not officially on mine. If you look at the print, you're listening here. It's on the avoid list. Let's go to the next fight, which isn't on the avoid list. Jack Marshman versus Ryan James. Unfortunately, though, the line is too inflated. Yes, this is the parlay I was alluding to. I parlayed Marshman at the opener. He opened at minus 270. He is inflamed my up to minus 600, though, the line. It's out of play now, so it won't be listed on my parlay pieces, although it would have because I originally played him. Um, and I got, I think, plus 109 parlaying Marshman, Pantoja, again, in the neighborhood of 300, and Johns in the neighborhood of minus 330. All lines have gone up, especially Marshman, by threefold as he's now out of play though i did add him to my prop list he is the only chalk prop to kind of balance out the force the only way to make him a straight play since he's out of you know straight play range as well marshman is is playing inside the distance which is chalk at minus 165 but i see it hitting 
Um, Ryan James is just so upright, man. He, you could tell he's a real student of the game, you know, despite being 35 and tall and not the most athletic guy. Like, he really does move pretty well and smooth through his defense. I love the volume approach. It's intelligent. His head's in the right place, but his head is physically in the wrong place in the sense of defensively it's in the wrong place. It's always upright. It's there to be hit. And uh, it's hard not to see his counters or follow-up left hooks of Marshman not paying dues. Marshman can be held down, um, take down defense. There's stuff to be desired. He's still developing himself, too. But the guys also who took him down were like, they're very athletic takedowns from very athletic big dudes in Mejeta Santos or Magnus Sedenblad. Um Though... James is no small dude. He He's not athletic or strong or explosive in that sense, nor does he have the wrestling, even looking at his regional footage against lesser competition, to facilitate that. And uh, again, uh, talking with a media member who I obviously respect, and many of you probably respect too, who remain nameless, a Canadian journalist, though, I will say, was having a conversation with uh, during International Fight Week. By the way, it was just great to see you all. Whoever I saw during International Fight Week reached out. It was, it was great to see you. Uh, I wasn't able to go, you know, didn't, didn't score tickets this time around, so I honestly just stayed um, off the strip as much as I could. <laughs> but if I saw you, uh, the seven times I was on the strip, great to see you. But yeah, I was talking to a Canadian journalist, so I really respect him. We're, I hate to say it, but we're talking about like you know hypothetical like worst fighters and like some guys it's easy to to, to, to point to where you don't feel bad like uh, Crystal Lolo Lolo whatever the fuck his name was who's not no longer in there it was a 155 or Scott Holtzman beat and some other guys beat uh, ties him off I believe beat um, but like James is like uh, amongst that list <laughs> and even like this is like Canadian dude saying it you know what I'm saying so I mean and I, and I agree with him. Um, you know, and you know, even on the ground where he's supposed to be great, we saw him just get get submitted very fast by um, Mirshart, who again, crafty dude, Mirshart. That's his game, but didn't like to see that. Didn't like to see that from Janes, who elected to take Mirshart down, which is weird. Um, and Mirshart kind of allowed himself to be on the ground because again, that's his strength. So how much do you credit that for the takedown? I, I don't really see Janes getting that takedown on Marshman here. And if he does, Marshman isn't exactly a slouch. I mean, he's shown how to get up or how to retain guard, close it up, and work for a stall, which is not the best. Um, in fact, that allowed him to take damage. It kind of backfired him against Seedenblad for that first round. But I, I don't see Janes posing these problems here, man. Uh, I got Marshman here, but again, it's not listed because I played it early in the week. And I was about to tweet out my play, but I'm like, I'm not that guy that tweets out that stuff. Not that there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying I'm not a, a capper. Like, that's not my game or whatever. Like, I wait to the breakdowns. It's kind of the whole fun. That's kind of my whole game. And, you know, I was ishy and wish, if, iffy and wishy-washy. So I decided not to post it. But I did feel from making that play, it was that this play that I made that made me feel obligated to do the whole damn breakdown. But uh, I'm sharing with you here, obviously, open forthcoming here. But the reason why I didn't list it on the print breakdown, I'm not going to you know, take credit for some post-play bullshit, even though uh, I'm not an official capper or anything like that. I'm not going to do that shit either. There are certain uh, respectable rules. We've got to respect the unwritten rules here. So um, so I can't take credit for that one. To left him off the parlay and straight list. But, but, but he's a prop inside the distance, half unit, minus 165. And yes, for what it's worth, my only parlay I made was, the, was that parlay, that three-man for plus 109, which I can't take credit for officially on the breakdown. All right, next fight. 
uh, Stevie Ray versus Paul Felder. Again, did a spotlight, end up on three key fights and starting now. Uh, yeah, and that was uh, Stevie Ray versus Paul Felder. Stevie Ray opened as the dog, I believe. Felt Felder's a favorite. I'm like, I don't know about that. I actually f- kind of favor Ray, but I withheld. I wanted to do my research first, which bummer because the line already started shifting. Um, I did put Ray on my straight play list, who's minus 165 and growing. A lot of money came in on him. Still, still within the straight play and still... I'm worth it, but this could be, this, I mean, not this could, I, I do expect it to be com- a competitive fight, so fair warning. Uh, your boy may have sprinkled a bit on the decision, but, uh, the, the, you know, for personally, but again, this isn't like a, a run of the bank. He made my straight playlist, but not exactly like a parlay piece you should be hedging your things on because Felder Felder's durable. I mean, both these guys are durable. This is probably going to be a tough one that goes to decision is probably my bet. In fact, did I make a bet on there? Uh, that it goes to decision in general for a hedge, or what is the line there? I'll pull that up. But yeah, essentially, um, go to mixedmartialanalyst.com for my more in-depth, but but I like Ray Southpaw striking against straight-up Southpaws. I don't know how Felder does against switch stance guys like Berkman or, or Ricci, who again were... I like both guys personally, so I don't want to bad talk them, but they weren't exactly top tier. Let's just, let, to be fair to say that, at least the time he fought Berkman and Ricci, well, yeah, let's... To be nice, not not top tier. Um, so, but but against like straight up southpaws against uh, Francisco Trinaldo, we saw we saw Felder have some issues there in the clinch and just with the pressure striking. And I see that kind of playing similarly here to Ray. Although Ray may not have as much horsepower or the one shot knockout power, it's pretty damn close. And more importantly, more fluid, more technical, more consistent. Um, in the stylings and the threats that Francisco Trinaldo presented. So I see Ray being able to make it ugly and close, but I also see him with his improved lateral movement and improved ability to show that Ray will can, can get away from the brawling susceptibility you know, that the Scottish side has, and he can stick and move when necessary, and he's got the lateral movement to fuel that as well. And that's what that recent improvement recently kind of makes me sway toward him here because Felder is just typically linear, um, even though he's... Technically, the more diverse striker has more of the repertoire, more of the arsenal with the spinning attacks that are accurate to pull from, still more predictable in spirit, uh, more linear in general. And especially when you hit him and you kind of get you know get him angry, uh, he doesn't really adjust too well. So for all these reasons, I see Stevie Ray being able to adjust more. He also has, in my opinion, the advantage in the clinch, not just in the grappling threat, but in the striking, if it remains uh, clinch striking him. Felder, real, real strong knees and elbows. Obviously, not taking away anything there, but, but Ray no slouch either. Good dirty boxing, and his one level change or clinch trip and takedown away. He's got some decent Uchimata, you know, trips and throws himself. I could see him hitting, uh, and making it ugly. You know, you look at Ray's, you know, regional to even, you know, first fights when he got in the UFC, but even the regional scenes, he makes fights ugly there against the fence. He floats, he smothers. And I don't, you know, Felder's a hard guy to put away, much less submit. Um, you know, uh, we even saw, you know, cage pressure against Jason Sago, who that wasn't maybe the greatest performance. That was kind of a weird and tangible fight on a short notice. But yeah, we saw it fail. So don't get me wrong. We've seen it succeed and we've seen it fail against Felder. But, but more so than not, I, I think Stevie Ray has got the puzzle pieces to get it done here, and apparently I'm not alone because that line swayed. Can't break, can't can't boast about grabbing early lines again. My only early play was, was I promised that was the only thing. The parlay. I wish it was more. 
I wish it was Ray at Dog Money. Congratu- maybe not congratulations. The fight hasn't fucking happened, right? But, you know, good on you if you got the dog money there. I didn't, but still, he makes the straight plays worth it, in my opinion. Also played Ray with a prop decision, plus 10, uh, plus 110, uh, Put a quarter unit on there. Again, both guys are durable. I see this going the decision either way, so I'm going to be siding with the more. Uh, they're both durable, so but I'm going to be siding with the more well-rounded guy who also happens to be fighting at home. All right. Next fight, co-main event. This one is should be on the avoid list too, man. I was like deciding at 11th hour who I was going to pick. Calderwood versus Calvillo. I, I wanted to pick Calderwood not just because Calderwood, as you all know, is one of my favorite female fighters. Like Before they started the strawweight division, like I've... Oh, I, I love Calder. I loved watching her fight in Invicta. Um, but she's had up and downs, right, since coming off that tough show. And um, I could see her, you know, making an upset here because Calvillo still is a lot to be desired in her stand-up, even though she's showing fight-to-fight improvements. Again, sample size. I don't want to harp on it, but she's lacking the sample size there, and it could be reminded us brutally if Calvillo fails to get into... Uh, advantageous scrambles or fails to score um, score takedowns in the first round even or the first half of the fight you know she could run into trouble here but I don't know you know it, it's tough she has that dog in nature we've seen her dog it out in fights against a tough Pearl Gonzalez who even though that was her debut and that probably wasn't the best Pearl Gonzalez Pearl was a pretty experienced girl for what it's worth that vision for you know that region especially and um even though Cynthia was up on rounds, we saw her dig it out. Even though her pace did considerably slow. That, you know, that being said, Calderwood's live here. I'd, I'd be lying if I said I didn't sprinkle a little bit on her personally. But I had to pick Calvillo here, man. I mean, it, she has grapples well beyond her years. And not to discount you know, Joanne, who, you know, it's easy to jump on the narrative that submissions have easily been her folly point, you know, she, she's very underrated, again, with the Muay Thai background, she's very underrated counter-wrestling Calderwood does, but Calvillo shows some really good wrestling, too, defensively and offensively, I mean, she does one of the things you don't really see done much that, I, uh, a technique I like, and, and, yeah, my more lighter limber days may have pulled this off, and, you know, in sparring, but you don't, you don't really see it too much as far as, like, people parlaying single legs and the back takes. It's very hard to do, first of all. You have to have a very good understanding, and you have to have somebody really just put their head, first of all, on the wrong side for a single leg. You have to make them make a... They have to make... The person making the single leg has to make a kind of a crucial mistake for someone to parlay that, but you see her do that. Or she just, you know, kind of parlays these takedowns, which we'll get into the main event. Um, Nelson does the same thing, but parlays the takedowns in a front headlock position, uh, which is, you know, a game of hers, a front headlock series that's only growing under the care of Team Alpha Male, and we saw her use it against Amanda Bobby Cooper, you know, which... Most people use kind of a snap down to a back tape, but we saw her use like kind of a failed anaconda choke to just her bridge and core strength, the kind of rolling backwards into the back take there. I mean, real impressive stuff. Um, and just like the subtle things she does, you know, going for the triangle that she almost had on Pearl Gonzalez, she, she would have finished her if she didn't get it. I believe it was in the first round, I want to say. And just the way she changes up her legs, that leg dexterity, the little things she does, just the lever awareness, the, the way she braces herself on her back mounts. I mean, there's so much to like about Calvillo's game. It's not just hype. It's not just, oh, you know, a narrative. Calderwood's going to you know, lose by submission there, but... That's the pick here. It's Calvillo, and it's inside the distance. I think, I think she does find it inside the scramble, and I just don't like. I don't. I don't like where again. Calderwood looks all smiles, and we'll have to see at the weigh-ins, I guess. But 
I don't like her at this weight. Um, she's had trouble making it. She's, she's been coming in heavier, whether she makes it or fights at 125, it doesn't matter. And we see that with a lot of fighters. Some fighters just simply, whether it might not be they're getting lazy, might be they just find out how to cut weight a little easier on their body, so they don't want to drain themselves so much, or maybe a little bit of both, let's be honest. But I don't like it. And then you yeah, see these articles coming out about like, oh, I really wish I made the 125 cut because she just missed the 125 cut. And she's like one of the girls that should be at 125. So you have to figure that has to be bothering her, right? But if I was her, I'd be like, oh, I can't let that. Got to keep my poker face. But no, you see her like being outward in interviews. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Either way, way too many intangibles. As much as I want to pick my girl Calderwood, I had to pick Calvillo here. Um... Careful on playing that one. Let's go to the main event. Ponzinibbio versus Nelson. Nelson the favorite around minus 170. Ponzinibbio around plus 160, depending on what house you're looking at. Uh, I love Ponzinibbio in his pressure game here. And uh, I could see him making it a difficult fight if he can avoid the counter crosses and takedowns of Nelson. But Ponzinibbio, though, he's improved with his head movement. Kind of moving his head in unison as he slips off the center line, throwing. He's always been hittable just because of his aggression. And more importantly, it's been like check jabs. Like, I've never seen a guy get like stunned more by check jabs than Ponzinibbio. Like, he's got a good radar for right hands. And even when right hands or powerful hooks from either side hit him, he, he recovers really well. Um, but check jabs seem to always take him off his feet. And just check straights or check hooks. And although, you know, traditional jabs and check hooks aren't really Gunnar Nelson's style because he's a karate stylist, he has gotten better at throwing checks, counters, and straight lefts is a, is, is a shot that he consistently lands from both stances. As, again, Gunnar Nelson is a switch stance fighter, something else Ponzinibbio will be having to deal with. Um... And yeah, so I actually like I actually like Nelson and his improvements on the feet. I mean, even you look at Nelson's early, uh, early, uh, early fights, he has really good awareness, even in, in bad spots like the clinch and breaking off the clinch, where a lot of you know karate guys get caught and get tacked, kind of fading away. He's a really good strike awareness there. Really, not just the grappling awareness, obviously, but good strike awareness. So, in other words, even if Nelson does get in the clinch and fail on a shot, I don't see Ponzinibbio who typically is really consistent. I mean, he patently throws strikes off of the break Ponzinibbio does. And I don't see it as being as big of a threat as uh, I was initially worried as it to be. <sighs> Bigger question, though, comes down to the counter uh, the counter wrestling. Ponzinibbio has shown steady improvements. and It's no coincidence that those improvements have come with moving shop to American top team over recent years. The problem is he's really jumped on the wrestling almost too much. And what I mean is even though it's good, he's made improvements. He fights hands, tripods up, uses the cage appropriately. He does everything quote-unquote right. But he's really going to have to be diligent about all his check marks and leave no room for error because when you tripod and turtle up, as typically coming from the wrestling style of get-ups we're seeing more, which is smart, comes from, you know, it only makes sense. Can be real dangerous though. It can become a death sentence. It can become go from smart to a death sentence if you're talking about a good back taker and or game over territory grappler, which Gunnar Nelson arguably is. And uh, that's that's the troubling part here is that I see Nelson not only getting him down. Ponzinibbio, yes, very hard scrambles very well. The problem is how he scrambles, and I see him with his propensity to kind of turtle up to stand. 
just giving that back take there. And or, you know, I don't see him shooting on a takedown on Gunner. But again, Ponzinibbio, when he does break the clinch, he pushes a lot. Or even in exchanges, kind of exiting exchanges, like from a habit of boxing, he'll lean forward and push. And we've seen Gunner, you know, kind of like Tony Ferguson, when guys kind of over-exaggerated roll, he'll grab and dip and snap him down with a front headlock. Or, you know, Zach Cummins will grab a single leg and then he'll snap him down a front headlock and use that to take his back. So, I mean, Gunnar Nelson will find ways to get good grapplers back or guys that are decent wrestlers or thwarting him in one way. He'll find a way around it. And if Ponzinibbio's propensities are to play into Nelson's pathways, and I don't really like it. Don't really like Jenny Boa's chances. And I like Jenny Boa. He's a guy that I look to bet, especially as a dog. But it is hard here as Nelson makes the straight plays. Is, uh, got him here at minus 175 on dimes for, again, depending on where you're looking at him, you might be able to get a, get a better line. But I got him at dimes, minus 175, played half a unit. And he makes also the prop list, the last on our prop list. I have him by sub, plus 120 at a quarter unit. I expect that to be positive numbers by the time this comes out. Probably, definitely, most definitely my fight time. And yeah, not a parlay piece, but a straight play. And again, prop at plus 120. And that closes it out. Uh, maybe, by the way, possible parlay fodder. Minus 245. Fight does not go the distance. Hard to see this one going the distance. Though I've been wrong about this prop a couple times before in the main event when I try to when I try to take this angle. Could see that happening here. Hence why I didn't make my list. Hence why I didn't seriously play it. But just throwing out some parlay fodder. Because, you know, it wouldn't be a Dan Tom opinion without some. All right. Thank you for that. Thank you for, again, making it through the, la that last episode, coming it back for this one, making it through the rant, the, that first minute rant of, of movies and other apologetic bullshit and, and all whatever to get through the analysis, which, you know, again, thank you guys for supporting my work. I can't fucking thank you enough. Uh, with the apologies and bullshit I already put you through, I'm going to spare you all the formal plugs and asking for... Um, Reviews, ratings, and all that bullshit. Also, I forgot to see. Uh, I also forgot to pull up the, the rating, the ratings, and reviews to give shoutouts and the click through. So, I'll probably do that on a recap. Um, if I do a recap, uh, maybe not, because I might just recap it on the Long Island breakdowns. I actually do plan on doing a quick turnaround, try to have my breakdowns all out by like one good morning next week. Now, I would. Everything's kind of already outlined here, and I'll be jumping on that like, probably after this, to be honest. Um, breakdowns should be up by the time you guys hear this. Uh, yeah, sorry about the uh, only about 25 to 26 hours probably by the time everything's posted, by the time you get it, of circulation time. But better late than never, as I said at the top of the show. So until um, next time, don't worry about blood blisters on the bottom of your foot. Get your ass back on the mats. Make yourself happy. Ignore the bullshit. Tune out the noise. Enjoy life. And until next time, protect your neck.